Julie and I were dating, very much in love, not yet engaged, when I joined her family for a vacation down at the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And on this particular trip, we took a day trip, deep sea fishing into the Gulf of Mexico. Had a great time, went about 14, 15 miles out into the ocean. And on our way back in, we, we kind of noticed off in the distance some clouds starting to gather. We'd had a lovely day. We didn't think anything of it. We were motoring toward home. When all of a sudden, we looked to the right and, and saw some other clouds kind of gathering off in the distance. We didn't think anything of it. We'd had a wonderful day and we were motoring home. And we noticed that these two cloud formations were kind of moving toward one another, closing in on our vector heading toward shore. When all of a sudden, the bottom dropped out of these clouds and it started thundering and lightning, the waves kicked up. And before we even had time to realize what was going on, everyone on board the boat was absolutely sick. I'm talking about seasick to the nth degree. And when you're dating somebody, it, you know, especially as a guy, you want to kind of stay cool. Can I just tell you, there's no way to stay cool when you're seasick. And I will never forget the captain of the boat from up top in his captain's cockpit, yelling down to all of us in the well of the boat, heaving over the side. He goes, y'all want to know how to cure that seasickness? We all kind of looked up like, please, we'd love to know. He goes, you need to rub your back against an oak tree. ha <laughs> That was not a funny joke at the time. But I told you that story to tell you this story. There was another time, fast forward about 15 years when Julie and I were married. Emily and Joseph were small children. And I traveled to the Bahamas with some very, very close friends to fish for about a week. Well, one day we were out on the flats of Andros Island, just fishing, having a lovely day, when all of a sudden we noticed a little cloud formation popping up on the horizon. And before we knew it, that cloud formation was on top of us, driving, pelting rain, thunder, lightning. Our guide, who was a Bahamian native, said, man, we got to head for home. And he put the hammer down in this little 17-foot flat skiff cruising for home. The rain felt like needles coming in at us. I have never been more scared in my life. We couldn't see 10 feet off the bow of the boat. Every now and then as we were racing for home, you'd hear other boats go by, but you couldn't see them. Lightning striking within seconds of a thunderclap. I've never forgotten that moment as I'm down in the bottom of this boat praying for safety. Praying, I'm thinking to myself, Lord, I need to get home. I have a wife and two kids who need me. It was a very different experience from that moment when Julie and I were dating. Two different storms, two different perspectives. I learned something very, very important. Your perspective absolutely determines how you handle a storm. Your perspective absolutely determines how you handle a storm. 
You know, our world right now is in a storm. I don't just mean the entire globe, although that's true. Literally around the world, coronavirus is affecting individuals, cities, nations, economies. But it's also true that that's affecting our worlds personally. That, that every single one of us is trying to navigate, trying to figure out how to handle, how to live in the middle of a storm. You know, we've always said around Lake Hills Church that all roads lead to the gospel. And I believe that with everything that I have. But as I've been studying, preparing, and praying for this message, I think it may be more accurate to say the gospel leads to all roads. What I mean by that is that the good news of Jesus Christ, this thing that we call our Christian faith, actually makes a difference in every arena we allow it to make a difference. That, that this faith that we have in Christ, the belief that he is the son of God, the belief that, that he came to earth, walked on the earth, ministered, preached, died on the cross, and rose again, actually matters in every single part of life. That's exciting, and that is, in fact, good news, especially when, when we are in the middle of a storm. If you've got your Bibles, whether you're watching online at home or maybe you're in a coffee shop, well, you shouldn't be in a coffee shop, actually, now that I think about it. That was last week. Things are changing all the time. But wherever you are, I want you to look in your Bible in Mark chapter number four. In Mark chapter four, we find an amazing paradigm, an amazing pattern for us to follow in this storm that we're in right now. And it just so happens that this is taken from an actual storm that Jesus and his closest followers endured together. It's in Mark chapter four, verses 35 through 31. This is what the Bible says. I'm gonna be reading out of the New Living Translation. The Bible says this. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, Silence! Be still. And suddenly the wind stopped. And there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves Obey him. Easily. One of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. One of my favorite 
facts from the life of Jesus. And I love that picture of Jesus asleep in the back of the boat, just his head on a cushion. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing if we could have that level of peace in the middle of a storm? If you and I could just kind of oh, chill out with our head on a cushion. I, I kind of feel like most of us, and when I say most of us, I mean almost all of us, probably identify more with the disciples than we do with Jesus in this particular moment in time. We're kind of like, Lord, where are you? Wake up. We need you to come back. Don't, don't, don't you care what's going on? And I think our fear, I think our uncertainty, I think our anxiety is absolutely understandable because the fact is we are in a storm. The Christian faith does not deny reality. We don't act like everything's fine. No, it's cool. Don't worry about it. No, no, no. We're in a storm. Make no mistake about it. If you are stressed out, if you're, if you're anxious right now and, and unsure of what's going on and you're stressed, I want to suggest to you that that is actually a sign of emotional, spiritual, and mental health. I think it's appropriate to be a little bit nervous and to be a little bit aware of what's going on around us. It's important that we acknowledge reality. Dr. Henry Cloud is a psychologist who has advised Fortune 50 CEOs as well as has a thriving counseling practice. And Henry Cloud says that there are some components of a crisis that we need to be aware of, particularly when we're in the middle of that crisis. Here, here's component of a crisis number one, disrupted structures. Crisis disrupts the structure that we're used to. Structure like schedules, school, work, groceries, movies, sports, the NBA, Disney World closed. Are you kidding me? You want to talk about upsetting structures? Disney, Mickey Mouse turned off the money spigot. That's how disrupted our structures are right now. Disrupted structures lead to number two, disrupted connections. All of those structures in our social networks that we're so used to, now all of a sudden when we're told to stay home, we're told to stay away from people, away from gatherings, that greatly disrupts this relational connection that we have with other people that we need. I, I think that's one of the more anxiety-inducing realities of this coronavirus crisis that we're in the middle of, is the fact that we are separated from some of the people that we're so used to being around. Disrupted connections. Number three, disrupted reasoning. Well, that starts to hit a little close to home, doesn't it? Because the reality is when we experience a crisis, we automatically switch into flight or fight mode. That, that's just something our brains are hardwired to do. Dr. Cloud says that anytime you experience a crisis, your brain registers change as an error, as something has gone wrong. And when that happens, our brains are preconditioned to automatically go into flight or fight mode. See, our amygdala in the back of our brain 
This is where we go into flight or fight mode. That's when we're acting reflexively. Our prefrontal cortex is where we reason, where we think things through and we make decisions based on logic and reasoning. But back here in the amygdala, that's where we kind of start to freak out a little bit and it's flight or fight. We, we lash out at people. Maybe, maybe you've been stuck at home with the same people for a number of days. I'm just guessing now. But isn't it possible that sometimes when we're kind of in the same environment with the same people for an extended period of time, it's possible, I've heard, to sometimes get a little short with each other. Hey, have you noticed anybody kind of snapping at somebody this week? Now, of course, that's never happened in the pastor's home, but I've heard about it. I've read books about other people. Okay, it, truth be told, it did happen in our house a couple of times this week. We were all kind of like on edge a little bit, and we all kind of went, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's take a deep breath, which, by the way, helps your prefrontal cortex. Did you know that? Just take a breath. I learned all of this from my wife, Julie. She's studied this for years, helping fearless mom. And when you take that deep breath, all of a sudden you've re-engaged that prefrontal cortex. You're out of fight or flight mode. You're into thinking and reasoning mode. Another result of a crisis, number four, is a very real loss of control. And I think... This is one of the things that creates the greatest anxiety because the fact is we, we like to think we're in control and, and as long as things are going well, the money's flowing, the job is good, then everything's cool. But the second there's an interruption in what we perceive to be controlled circumstances, that's when we start to go into crisis mode. That's when we begin to kind of freak out a little bit. And it's because of disrupted structures, disrupted connections, disrupted reasoning and a loss of control that we get to number five. And that's an increase of fear, an increase of fear. That's where the disciples were when they shouted and they woke up Jesus, Lord, don't you care that we're gonna die? That there's something in that that we can all identify with, especially right now. And, and so my prayer is that today, as a church family online, in living rooms, in homes around the city and beyond, that we can come back to a place where we understand how to experience calm in the storm. This is, this is the gift of God. This is what he has called us to. This is what we get to experience. We're not denying the existence of the storm, but rather we're experiencing the peace that passes understanding. Last week, we talked about that peace and the power of that peace. Today, we're going to get super, super practical. I'm talking about like down in the dirt, roll up your sleeves, get your hands dirty and messy, just practical on how you get to that calm in the storm. Because the reality is we're going to be navigating this storm for a while. I'll be honest, that's part of, part of what kind of creates some anxiety in me is we don't know. I'm anxious about that as, as a husband, as a father. I'm anxious about that as a pastor. I think, man, if, if we knew that this was going to go another week or even another month, we could at least make plans for that. We don't know. 
I remember when our daughter Emily was growing up, every now and then she would kind of, you know, step outside the boundary lines that Julie and I had established. And we would usually be able to come up with consequences that, that resonated with her. But if she really crossed the line, her, her personality, the way that she's kind of wired up, man, she needed to know how long the consequences would last, how long she would be grounded. And if we were really upset, we would say, here's your consequences, but I'm not going to tell you when they're up. Whoa, that all of a sudden, that was worse than any consequences if we didn't tell her how long it was going to last. She's like, I, I really need to know how long it's, no, mom and I will let you know when it's over. It's over when we say it's over. Oh man, you talk, now all of a sudden, I kind of understand where she was coming from a little bit better. So what do you do? How do you navigate the storm? How do you find that calm in the storm? Number one, fix your focus. Fix your focus. What is it that you are focused on when you're in the storm? I think back to my Bahamian fishing guide. He was focused on the home port. He knew where the boat ramp was. He knew where we needed to get to. When I was down in the well of that boat, praying and cowering from the lightning and the thunder, I was focusing on the lightning and the thunder. Think about what the disciples did. The disciples went and woke Jesus up. They said, Lord, teacher, don't you care? And all of a sudden, they took their focus off of the storm and they placed their focus on the Lord. Fix your focus on the Lord. This is one of the great opportunities of this incredible obstacle that we're in the middle of. It is an opportunity to recalibrate our lives. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says the chief end of man is to love God, honor God, and enjoy him forever. That's the reason we exist. Well, it's easy to forget that as long as it's business as usual. This is not business as usual. And so in this moment, we can recalibrate and fix our focus, come back to the reality that Jesus is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords, and he desires a relationship with you. Are you kidding me? You see, before the disciples went and woke up Jesus, they were focused on the storm. And their focus was all wrong. Their perspective was skewed. Now, when they fixed their focus on Jesus, it didn't change the reality of the storm. It changed what they focused on. Here's what I'm talking about. You can... Focus on the fact that you're in a storm. That's entirely possible. Or you can focus on the fact that you're in a boat with Jesus. Both are true. But what you focus on is what you feed. And focusing on the fact that we are in this with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he has never abandoned us. He will never forsake nor never leave you. And he causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes.
So fix your focus. Fix that focus. Number two, calm the chaos. Calm the chaos. Now, some of you may be at home right now and you've got small children at your home and you're thinking, <laughs> yeah, sure, Mac, got it. I, I Listen, I get it. I understand. I've been there. I feel you. But can I just mention to you some things that we can do to calm the chaos? Number one, structure. Structure in a time of chaos will help. I want you to think back with me to Genesis chapter one, the very first verses of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it says that the earth was formless and void. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That, that formless and void, I think a lot of us right now, that's where our schedules are. That, that's where our days are. They're, they're kind of formless and void. We're, we're not sure what to do. Some of us kind of maybe went into vacation mode when they told us to stay home. But structure will bring calm to the chaos like nothing else. Now, I'm not telling you to become a drill sergeant. Don't, don't freak out with this. But structure, number one, your schedule. Start living by a schedule, even though you don't have a schedule imposed upon you by, by school or by work or some of the things that we consider normal. Give yourself some structured scheduling. Say, you know what? We're, we're not going to sleep till noon, necessarily. If you were on spring break last week, knock yourself out. That's great. But, but now... This, this is our new normal for the foreseeable future. We need to structure our schedule. Number two, structure your health. Structure your health. How you take care of the body God's given you. How I'm doing that. You have to, we're built for fuel and movement. Fuel and movement. So, so structure what you're eating Take care of those kind of things because those things matter. They're going to they're gonna pile up and matter how you sleep. They're going to matter how you feel. They're going to matter how you think, how you reason. So structure your schedule, structure your health. One of the best things you can do is get outside and go for a walk. I, I heard Dr. Fauci, the, the director at the National Institute of Health, who is helping guide our nation through this crisis, he said that the virus, the coronavirus, is not going to reach out and get you. It's not like the boogeyman hiding behind every tree. You, you can actually go out for a walk. Get out and enjoy nature. Get out and, and move that body that God's given you. Enjoy the created order. Number three, structure your work. Man, we're working hard on this as a church family. Our church staff team is, is staying engaged. We're having those, those Zoom meetings where you stay engaged and you stay connected to each other and you keep working. We're, we're working on our work as a staff. And then this is a unique opportunity and a unique window to structure time for your relationships for your relationships, maybe, maybe relationships that you've let kind of lag or maybe have been neglected. This is an incredible time. Over the course of the last week, I've been on the phone. I've been FaceTiming with pastor friends of mine across the country. I've been so encouraged by these guys. We're all 
trying to figure out which end is up. We're encouraging each other. We're praying for each other. I FaceTime with my mom. It's an incredible, incredible opportunity. But you have to structure those things. Structure brings calm out of the chaos. And then number three, I want to challenge you during this season. Feed your faith. Feed your faith. You, you want to experience calm? Then take care of your faith. I, I shared with our church a few months ago a, a book that I had read called The Celebration of Discipline. It was written by Richard Foster, who was a Quaker theologian. And in this book, Foster talks about the disciplines, the things that we do to build our faith, things like prayer, scripture reading and studying, community and fellowship, all of those things that God has given us to build and to feed our faith. And as I was reading this book, The, the Celebration of Discipline, I decided I, instead of looking at those things as disciplines, I'm going to look at them as skills. How do you develop Faith skills. I remember when I was playing basketball in high school, we used to do these drills all the time, ball handling drills, shooting drills, running drills, all the drills to get better as a basketball player. There are certain skills we need to feed our faith. Reading scripture, that's a skill to learn how to read the Bible and ask of the Bible certain questions in order to get out of it everything God wants you to have. Prayer is a skill. Prayer is a skill that you develop as you do it. That's a unique opportunity during this window. But I thought about another, another way to feed our faith, and that is with the legacy that we have in the church. The legacy. I think about the church in the early, early days of the church, after Christ's earthly ministry, the original disciples and apostles have all been martyred for their faith. And the Christian church, capital C, is, is this kind of fledgling group that is outcast, looked down upon by society. And then something switched. Something switched around 250, 300 A.D., when all of a sudden it was no longer an outcast, religious cult. All of a sudden, the church was embraced in culture and in society. And do you know why that was? It was because of a plague. It was because the plague struck the Roman Empire. And in that polytheistic culture, they began putting the sick and the destitute out into the streets. People wanted nothing to do with those who were sick, but it was the church that stepped up and cared for the sick and the lame. It was the church that took those same people in. It was the church that said, we will love them with the love of God, even though nobody else does. It was the church that did that. I found out this week some things about the church that I grew up in in Houston, Texas, Second Baptist Church. I didn't realize that Second Baptist had been founded in 1927. 1927. Coming up on, what is that, 93 years ago? Is that right? Did I do the math right? 
I think so. So 93 years ago, Second Baptist Church is founded. Well, when you think about it, it was only two years later that the United States and the entire world entered into the Great Depression. The Great Depression that would last for 10 years. I'm just going to tell you, having been a part of a church plant with Lake Hills Church, you don't want to go into depression in year number two. That's a challenging time. And the only reason the depression ended in 1939 was because a little old thing called World War II broke out. And World War II lasted until 1945. So the first 18 years of existence of my home church in Houston, they were plagued by depression. They were plagued by war. And today they stand as one of the greatest outposts of the Christian faith in the world. We have a rich legacy. This is our DNA as the church, to be the body of Christ. When you just take those two examples I just gave you, you understand why it is that Jesus said, when he commissioned Peter, he said, I will build my church on you, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Nothing will prevail against the bride of Christ. This is our legacy. This is what we are born to. This is what we are called to as the church. As the church. I love, I love where the disciples ended up. Not just the fact that they were safe because Jesus rebuked the wind and calmed the waves. But it says there that the disciples said, who is this man? Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? The wind and the waves have no choice but to obey him. He's invited you, he's invited me into a relationship with himself where we have the full weight of responsibility of choice and free will. Now, I don't know where you are today. I don't know what part of the storm you're walking through right now. But I invite you, we as a church family invite you to answer that question. Who is this man? Who is this Jesus? He is our rock. He is our anchor in the storm. And so in this moment, I want to just invite you wherever you are, I want to invite you to bow your heads and pray with me. And if you can hear my voice, then I want to, I want to invite you to answer that question for yourself. Who is this man? Who is this Jesus? Maybe you've already decided that you will follow him and you will be one of his followers, then I want to invite you to be praying for every single person who's watching or will watch this message. But if you've never made that choice to follow Jesus, then we want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. To pray wherever you are, just silently talking to God to say something like this. Just silently say, Jesus, I need you. 
I believe that you are the Son of God. I choose to believe that you died on that cross for me and that you rose again for me. And so Jesus, in this moment, I commit myself to follow you, to live my life committed and submitted to you. Jesus, I trust you in this storm and every storm. And I pray this prayer in your name. Amen. If that was your prayer, then as a church family, we're excited with you. We're excited for you. And I want to invite you, I want to ask you, if you will, allow us the privilege to fulfill our responsibility and help with what's next. Let us know that you prayed that prayer. Let us know by sending us a message either through Facebook or through our website. But just let us know so that we can begin a, a dialogue with you that'll proceed at whatever pace works for you to help with what's next. I want you to know, Julie and I are praying with you. We're praying for you. And we're so grateful that we can connect with you. Don't forget that we have our Connect Four devotional Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. on Facebook Live. Join us. It may be Julie, it may be me, it may be one of our staff team members or a member of our church, but it's an awesome way for us during this season, during this storm, to stay connected. In the meantime, we pray that you have a great week. We pray that you experience the peace that passes all understanding, calm in this storm. Have a great week and God bless you.